Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of Psalm, Psalm 119. Psalm 119. We're continuing to go through this Sunday school series of Psalm 119, and it has been wonderful uh, just to dive into this. And again, my um, initial reaction to Psalm 119 is that I knew that every verse spoke about the Word of God. And in my mind, I was almost thinking that it was going to say something like, love the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. But as we dive in, we actually see a testimony of a man who's trying to do what's right in the midst of opposition, in the midst of obstacles, in the midst of financial issues, which we'll see in just a bit, in the midst where people are cheering for him to fail, in the midst where it just seems like he has no encouragement, no support structure, and yet he's determined that he's going to do what's right. And in order to do that, he has this written reminder that as God has inspired him through the uh, inspiration of scripture, he's written these things down to remind them to stay in God's Word, stay in God's Word, stay in God's Word. The only way I'm going to survive is to stay in God's Word, to stay in God's Word, to stay in God's Word. And we can see it's much deeper than just over and over saying, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. We could see that here's a man who's in desperate need in desperate times, and the answer was the Word of God, the Word of God, the Word of God. As we find that now, turn with me, if you don't mind, to Psalm 119. And we're now in this section here, starting at verse number 57. Psalm 119, starting in verse number 57. And notice what the Word of God says in Psalm 119 and verse 57. Thou art my portion, O Lord. I have said that I would keep thy words. I entreat thy favor with my whole heart. Be merciful unto me according to thy word. I thought on my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. Make haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. The bands of the wicked have robbed me, but I have not forgotten thy law. At midnight I will rise to give thanks unto thee because of thy righteous judgments. I am the companion of all them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of thy mercy. Teach me thy statutes. And if in the heaven of marking things in your Bible, would you see a decision that the psalmist has made and is reminded of in verse number 57? Notice what it says in Psalm 119 and verse 57. I would keep thy words. I will, would keep thy words. Now, what we find here is an interesting dilemma that has come up in the life of the psalmist. Notice with me in verse number 61. Notice verse 61, it says, the bands of the wicked have robbed me. But I have not forgotten thy law. Notice this. 
what we see here is that somehow this psalmist has suffered a material loss. It could have been that something has gone awry, that some people, because of um, evil people, like to take advantage of good people. Somehow, some way, they robbed him. He's had a material loss. He's at the place where he's hurting financially. Now, we know that there's different hurts. There's physical hurts. We see the psalmist go through there. There's hurts where your friends betray you. We see that. There's hurts when you seem all alone. We've seen that through the psalm. But there's also a hurt when you're hurting financially. When God puts on the pressure or maybe circumstances have put the pressure on and you look at your pocketbook and you look at your bill list and you look at your pocket look and you look at your bill list and well, it's not working out. It doesn't seem to work out. Sometimes it gets where there's a squeeze where you know that you have to take care of something and you look at your empty coin bag and... Nothing but moths come out. And, and so those happen. That's normal life that happens. And so here's the psalmist that has suffered. He's hurting financially. And yet, though he's hurting financially, we can see that he's still determined to praise God. He's still able to say hallelujah. Now, there are different times that we could learn to adjust. You could learn to praise God when you're hurting physically. You could learn to depend upon his grace during those times. You could look up to God and keep your eyes on him when people betray you. But it seems like when we're having financial problems, it's very hard to say hallelujah. Praise the Lord. God is good. God is wonderful. God is right. Woohoo! I serve a great God when you're looking at your empty bank book. It just seems, that seems to be one of the things that hit us hardest. How is it that the psalmist is able to praise God when he's hurting financially? How is it that he could still worship God with a clear conscience when he's hurting financially? Notice if you don't mind, let's learn some things here. And what keeps him and is enabling him to praise God in this difficult situation? Notice it first of all, in verse 57, it says, Thou art my, por my portion. What do we see here? He had left more than he lost. Meaning he had with him in his possession more than what he lost. Thou art my portion. Notice verse 57. Thou art my portion, O Lord. I have said uh, that I would keep thy words. One of the great doctrines of the Bible is called the sufficiency of Christ. And what that phrase means is that Christ is enough. But that doctrine never becomes real to us until Christ is all we have. Amen. That when Christ is all we have, we realize that we are richer than what we really think we are. That Christ is enough. That the Lord is my portion. That I have enough. Oh, what a wonderful thing when you realize that I have a wonderful God. You know, Abraham had discovered that God was his portion. He had rescued Lot and his goods from a coalition of kings. And afterwards, Abraham had refused to take any reward. 
And he honored the Lord with what he had. He still tied. He still gave. And he was able to say, listen, I trust God. I don't need a reward. God is enough for me. In fact, in Genesis 15, 1, when God spoke to him, he said, Abraham, fear not, for I am thy reward. You know, when we talk to unchurched people and we say, listen, God's my reward. They go, what in the world? Are you crazy? What? I mean, there's no substance to that. It just, uh, but you understand when you have God, you also have everything you need. When you have God, you have wisdom. When you have God, you have an unlimited supply of grace. When you have God, you also have the God who owns the cattle, the thousand hills, and the taters underneath the hills. Amen. He owns it all. My my father is rich. He owns the world. He owns everything. And he cares for me. And I can trust him. But the idea is not that I'm getting the finances. It's that I have God. He is enough. He's my joy. He's my all. Think about another illustration that we have. That when the 12 tribes of Israel arrived into the promised land, that um, the other tribes were given all of the land except for one. The Levites did not receive any of the land. They didn't get any of that inheritance. And God had said, guess what? I'm your portion. I'm your reward. I'm what you get. So think about a Levite. Everyone else is brought to the promised land. Everyone receives this land. Everyone receives rewards. But not you. Levites, you don't get any land. You don't get any of the possessions. You don't get any of this good stuff. I'm your reward. God's your reward. Okay, that's nice. How am I going to feed my family? How am I going to survive? I mean, everybody else has got the land and I have nothing. But you know what God did is he organized it. So he said in order to take care of the Levites... Everyone give a tenth of your possessions, a tenth every year. We call that a tithe, by the way. And so they were supposed to tithe. And so the rest of the people, God had given the land, and they were supposed to live off the nine-tenths of what they had, of what they gave to them. And they were supposed to give a tenth to the Lord's work, which would include giving the Levites. Now, for those of you who are math geniuses, guess what happened? If you had 12 tribes, 11 tribes divided out, the Levites up there, the Levites had 11 tenths because 11 of the tribes had a tithe and they, God was able to take care of them and were able to provide for them. Now, our God is great. And this is something that all Christians will have to learn when they grow. If you want to grow, you will run into this time where you learn that God is enough. That Jesus is enough. And that if I don't have any more income, if I become homeless, if everything else falls apart, if I have Christ, He is enough. Now those who are not saved and those that are not spiritually mature, this makes no sense whatsoever. It, it, it doesn't compute. What do you mean God's my portion? He's my reward. I, that's supposed to supply for my every need? Oh yes, it does. 
God takes care of us. We realize how much stuff we have and that God is better. Now again, that's mature growth. It's something of the lost world and those who are not spiritually discerning, they cannot understand. But once you start growing, you will hit a phase where you will have to realize that God is enough. He is all that I need. And when the psalmist, he's able to praise God, even though he suffered a financial hardship, a financial setback, something occurred that messed with his finances, he was still able to say, praise God, because I still got more than what I lost. I may have lost a lot materially, but I have Jesus, and that's more than all the world to me. I can trust him. I could trust him. Notice verse 58. I entreated thy favor with my whole heart. Be merciful unto me according to my word. He says, I entreated thy favor. I can trust you. You're enough. You could supply my every need. I can have everything I have. With my whole heart, you're all I need. Give me your grace. Give me your mercy. Notice something else that we find. How is it that he could praise God in the midst of a hardship, a financial hardship? How can he still say God is good and still God is right? How can he still have joy? How can he still shout hallelujah in this hard time? Well, something else that he sees. Notice in verse 59, I thought on my ways. What do we see? He had a clear path to travel. He had a clear path to travel. You know, when you know where you're going and you can see what step to take, even if you're in a hardship, if you just know which way to go, that helps out quite a bit that God could give so much grace if I can know what step to take and know what step to take. Notice if you don't mind, in the middle of this loss, the, the psalmist was still ready to follow God and we could see that he's made a decision. Notice the steps of these decisions that will help him go the next place. First of all, we see in this process of decision making, there was thinking. There was thinking. Notice this. I thought. I thought. In order to obey, we first need to make a decision to obey in our minds. No one follows God by accident. In fact, an interesting thing that's popped up in my own personal study in the last year is this idea that he prepared not. You'll see that Jesus had parables where he prepared, where he says that he prepared not. We talked about that, about this, one of the servants not too long ago. We could see that when he, God deals with the king list and he talks about some of the kings that he prepared not to prepare his heart. He prepared not his heart. What is this idea that he prepared not? Well, it carries the idea that if you're going to prepare, you have to first of all make a decision that I'm going to follow God. I am making a decision. I'm going to follow after him. That's your first step if you're going to follow God. Nobody follows God by accident. And it's an intellectual decision. I thought. I thought. Notice something else. Not only thinking, but location. There's an idea of location here. What do we mean by that? Verse 59. I thought on my ways. Every decision also needs to be evaluated with the question, where does this take me? Where does this take me? This carries along with it the idea of discernment. You know, every path, every decision takes you some direction. One of the problems with our world today and people is they don't see where their actions bring them. They live for the here and now, but they don't realize that they're on a path of destruction. 
maybe someone starts to buy into false doctrine. They don't think out, where does this lead me? Well, if you're going to follow the Lord, you're making a decision that, Lord, I want you to, I'm making a decision, I'm going to follow you, and I want you to guide my ways. I'm going to you. You're my goal. You're the one I'm heading to. That's part of the decision we make. Where are you headed? What is the decisions you make? Where is it going to bring you? Notice if you don't mind, we had thinking, we have location. Then there's action. If you're going to make a proper decision, there's going to include action. Notice verse 59. I thought of my ways and turned my feet. Every decision uh, made will produce an action. A decision that's not followed isn't a true decision. But remember, belief affects behavior. If you truly believe it, it's going to affect your behavior. That's part of the decision. You could say, I, I believe God can supply my needs all you want. But if you don't make any actions to follow God, it doesn't do you any good. Someone can say, I believe that God can save me. But if you don't make a decision to follow that up, it does you no good. The belief must affect behavior. Faith always produces action. A true decision always produces action. Someone could say, ah, I need to do better. But if you don't make a decision to do something, it wasn't a real decision. Does that make sense? There has to be action involved. I turned my feet. Notice something else. We see the idea of submission. Notice again. I thought in my ways and turned my feet unto thy testimonies. With every decision we make, we determine who is in charge of my life. The psalmist says, I turn to, unto thy testimonies. I'm putting myself in submission to follow you. I agree that you're right. By the way, just as a side thing, in the book of Genesis chapter 3, when Satan tempts uh, Eve in the garden, remember what he said? He said, Satan was telling, um, <coughs> telling Eve that when you eat this fruit, you shall be as the gods. Remember that? Later on, when God kicks them out of the garden, he also says they have become as one of us. What does that mean? Well, the idea here is that becoming the idea of God is that God is the one who determines what's right and right, right or wrong in your life. What makes anything wrong? What makes lying wrong? The only thing that makes anything wrong is because God said it was wrong. Well, when you become a God in your own life, you determine what's right and wrong. Not God, not someone else. That's one of the problems we have today. And all throughout the Bible, you could see that there's always this accusation of idolatry. And not just because they're worshiping Baal or Ashtaroth. It's because they're worshiping themselves. Because they determine who is God in their life. And their God is themselves. This is what I think is right. And this is what I'm going to do. Well, someone who's determined to follow after God also makes a decision, God, you are right. And you're always right. And if you give me something that I don't like, I'm still going to do what you've asked me to do anyways because you are God in my life. How can he still rejoice? Because he's determined that God's God in his life and he can trust him. And I'm going to follow after God no matter what, no matter what happens. God is God. I'm going to do what he said. And then we see something else in this decision making that he had. 
again, we have someone who's suffering in financial. He's able to praise God because he's made a decision. There are many other people who don't make decisions that the financial thing devastates them emotionally inside of their mind and they're just wrecks. What's the difference? He's made a decision. Notice there's something else with this decision. There's immediacy. Immediacy. He says in verse number 60, I made haste and delayed not to keep thy commandments. He says, when I made my decision, I obeyed immediately. If you're going to make a true decision, you obey now. Whenever someone says later, what they're saying is, no, I'm not going to obey you now. Anytime that God gives you a decision, it's either, yes, I obey you now, or no, I won't obey you now. For someone who says, oh, I'll do that later, what you're saying is, I won't obey God now. There are times I'll ask people, so when are you going to read your Bible? Eh, one day. What you're saying is, no, God, I'm not going to obey you right now. You said, that sounds mean. No, 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 this is where we're at. You make a choice to obey God now, or you make a choice not to obey God now. If you're truly going to make a decision to follow after God, there has to be immediacy. Meaning, I obey God immediately. It's not something for later, I do it now. Now, this is part of that decision that when he's learning the sufficiency of Christ, now he has to back it up. Do I believe God is sufficient? Do I believe Christ is enough? Then if I do, it's going to affect my behavior. I'm going to follow after God no matter what. Doesn't seem like my bills are going to be made. Doesn't seem like things are going to work out. I'm going to follow after God anyways, and I'm not going to let it stop my actions because God is still good and God is still right. There's nothing that praises God more than someone that's suffering and still willing to follow after God because they believe God is right. Now, the world thinks we're crazy when we do that. But to the Lord, that shows that we trust Him. Is God only worth trusting when things are going well? Or can you trust Him when things are not going well? Is God enough? <laughs> and then we see something else here. The psalmist, of course, is going through a hard time. How can he praise God? How can he still say God is good and God is right when he's suffering financially? Well, he says, thou art my portion. I have more with Jesus than what was been taken from me. I thought in my ways. He had a clear path to travel. He's made a specific decision to follow after God. He knows where he's going. And then, notice if you don't mind, in verse number, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> he says, Give thanks unto thee. He had someone to rejoice in. Even at such loss, the psalmist had never lost his faith in God. Notice if you don't mind in verse number 62. At midnight, I will rise to give thanks unto thee because of thy righteous judgments. Notice this. He still woke up at midnight to worship the Lord. It wasn't because he couldn't sleep. It's because he was still so thankful for what God did that he woke up in the middle of the night. His first thought was God's still good, God's still right. You know, there's something about sleep and that grogginess when you're first waking up and your first thoughts that come to you tells you something. If you wake up thinking about God and how good he is in the midst of hard times, it's because you've honestly been trusting him. Does that make sense? Yeah. There's something to it. You know, my favorite dreams is when I have a whole room full of people that I'm telling the gospel to. 
Those are good dreams. I want to wake up like that. You know, I don't wake up after having a dream like that saying, you know what? I think I'm going to slough off today. No, let's go. It's great. God's still good. God's still right. To be able to wake up in the middle of the night and say, God's still good. and God's still right. That's something. You know, it's one thing to say God's still good and God's still right when everybody's looking at you and, all right, I got to put on this Christian face. But when you're in the middle of the night and you're hurting financially, physically, emotionally, whatever, and still say God is still good, God is still right, I'm thankful that God is my God, that's because you've already made a decision to follow after him and you've been following and God has been your portion and he is enough. Oh, it's wonderful. He had someone to rejoice in. And here, this psalmist is still able to wake up at midnight. Now, let's be honest. I'm assuming all of us have gone through that period where we didn't have anything. Things were taken away. Maybe you're hurting physically or whatever else. We all know how much brain power those situations take up in our mind. And normally we wake up in the middle of the night and we're thinking about how horrible things are. But there's something when you learn to trust God and to have your thoughts immediately go to God, there's something to that. And the psalmist was able to do that. Notice if you don't mind in uh, verse 62, at midnight I will rise up to give thanks of thee because of thy righteous judgments. I am a companion of all of them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. You know, when we're rejoicing in God, We want to be around others who are rejoicing in God. That's what we want. The believer who loves the Lord loves to be with God's people when they assemble and worship God with other believers. We need that. I don't know if you've ever been to a church where it's the Iceberg Baptist Church and the Polar Bear Baptist Church where everything's frozen and everything. Man, those are hard. There's no joy in there and everybody's miserable and you get one person complaining, they all start complaining. But man, when you have people who are worshiping God and they're glad to be there, even if you're having a hard time, you want to go to church because other people are rejoicing and it helps you because you want to rejoice too. We have a good God. There's something to it. I want to be around people. Now, we see something here. Verse number 64, the earth, O Lord, is full of thy mercy. Everywhere he could see, he could see something that only redeemed eyes can see. Notice this, the earth is full of God's mercy. Only redeemed people can see this. What do I mean by this? Because when we talk about the earth, let's talk about it in the way that the world sees it is nature. We cannot say, oh, nature is merciful. Because nature is not merciful. It is cruel. All right, let's give an example. All right. I uh, slipped from a cliff. I can't say, oops, sorry, gravity, can you kind of show me some grace? Does gravity ever show you any grace? Not at all. Nature is not merciful. It is hard, cruel, it is mean, it is nasty. When you fall, it hurts. When something falls on your toe, it hurts. Nature is not merciful. You understand that? How can you look at the world and see God's mercy? 
only through redeemed eyes. Only through eyes that come from looking at God. That you could see God is a merciful God. Because what you see is a world that's deserving of judgment that has not been burned in fire. You could see God's graciousness. When you could see lost people acting the fool and doing things that they deserve lightning strikes. Or ourselves when we deserve lightning strikes. And we could look and see God has been merciful. I could see God's mercy. That only comes when we know God and see him. And we can look at God's mercy everywhere we go. You know, think about this. Our cruel world has programmed us to even be as cynical as the world is. You watch the news and your first mind is not how merciful God is. But when we look at things in redeemed eyes, we can. We could say, you know what? We have a good God. You know that person that's in jail that we heard about? You know, God spared him. God wants him to be saved. That comes with the supernatural eyes when we get to know God. Man, here's the psalmist. Think the times that you've gone through financial problems. And we all tend towards pessimism. When we're hurting financially, emotionally, physically, we always look towards the hard at times. Here is someone that hurts financially and is able to still say God's merciful. Everywhere I see God's merciful. Normally we're thinking, woe is me. How horrible it is. Oh, and we're not thinking about God's mercy. We're thinking about how poor and horrible things are for us. This is something here that the psalmist, it's not fake. It's not a show. It comes from him trusting God and looking at him. And making decisions to follow after him. And it has affected him. In the middle of the night, that's not a conscious choice. Alright, listen, I gotta praise God. Come on. To wake up in the middle of the night and still say God is good and God is still right. That's something that's changed inside of him. Because of him accepting God, following him, allowing God to be his portion, that God is enough. To be able to look at the world and all of its cruelties and still say, the fourth earth is full of God's mercy. That's something that's an eternal change, not something we fake. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Notice again in verse number 64. The earth, O Lord, is full of thy mercy. Teach me thy statutes. The psalmist wanted to learn more of God's word as a response to God's mercy. God's mercy must be the foundation which to build a new life. Think about that. We build our life of God's mercy. We don't deserve anything we have. But God has showed us greatness. It says the goodness of God leadeth to repentance. When we think about what God has done for us and what he supplied for us. And that honestly I deserve hell. And anything above hell is more than I deserve. It changes how we think. God has been merciful to me. And because he's been merciful. I want to know more about his mercy. I want more of his mercy. I want to know more about it. Oh, throughout the Bible, it is amazing to see (coughs) this correlation between mercy and truth. Psalm 8510, just let me read it to you. It says, mercy and truth are met together and righteousness and peace have kissed each other. That's poetical way, but we can see that mercy and truth, they belong together. They're not opposites. They are together. Psalm 8615, but thou, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering suffering and plenteous in mercy 
and truth. When you decide to follow after God, and that God is good and God is right, and that God is enough even when I don't have enough, God begins to change you and you see the world different. And you begin to see more of his mercy, more of his grace, and that draws you more than I want to know more about God's truth. I'd rather have the truth of God in my heart than the truth of nature. The world is a hard world. But the God who's in control of our world is plenteous in mercy. And that's what I need. God's mercy. So again, we have a tale of a psalmist who has suffered a material loss. Financial hardship. And yet... He's still determined that he's going to follow after God. He's still going to praise God. He's made a decision to follow after him. And as a result, there's an internal change that he sees God's goodness. He sees God's graciousness. He sees God's mercy. He sees God is good and God is right. Even in the middle of the night when he wakes up, his first thoughts is how good God is, not how bad things are for me. You can have that too. But it starts with your decision to follow after him. If you're not saved, you need to get that settled. God has plenty of mercy for you. But those who are saved, you have to determine that God is enough. And that you're willing to follow him no matter what. And God can do a work in you that even you, in your hardest times, can still say God is good. And God is right. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.